Today, two farmers accused of attempted murder in Kroblersdal apply for bail. The ministers of police and justice are there as the EFF protests. The Beacon Valley community's tense after a 12-year-old's killed in a gang crossfire. The president launches a rural bridge-building campaign. Three members of Inanda's West Gang killed in a shootout with the cops. And we'll celebrate Bafana's Afcon win. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Great to be with you today. Looking forward to hearing all of your WhatsApp voice notes, especially those complimenting Bafana Bafana and uh, those doubters, those naysayers, hey? Those people who thought that there, there was no chance that Bafana Bafana will get through. Hmm, what do they say now? Well, I thought that uh, it was an exceptional second half. Um, so I'd love to hear from you on that. Plenty of news happening today and we start in Limpopo in Groblesdal because the Ministers of Police and Justice, Becky Tkele and Ronald Lamola, are attending a court case today of two farmers accused of attempted murder. Piet Grunewald and his stepson, Stefan Greef, allegedly assaulted and set dogs on a farm security officer in an allegedly racially motivated attack. So they're in court today both ministers, sure, that's quite some firepower, hey, to have both the ministers of police and justice there. How do you know it's an election year? Well, there you have it, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. There is a very tense situation though outside the court because the EFF is protesting. Um, last time there was a court appearance that was very tense and clashes broke out as well. That's why the ministers say they are there to send a message to say that none of that will be tolerated. So watching all of this for us, Veronica Mahaudi, EWN reporter. Veronica, firstly, just take us through what's happening in court today. Well, Mandy, today we've been hearing, of course, um, from the investigating officer who's been detailing exactly why uh, Mr. Piet Grunewald and his son, Stefan Gief, should not be granted bail. And the reason he cited mainly pushing the argument as well for the state who's also opposing bail is that there are witnesses involved in this attack who are fearing for their lives. They say, in fact, that many of them have gotten death threats. There's a specific one, in fact, who um, the investigating officer telling uh, the court, uh, in fact, that one witness was essentially kidnapped, Mandy, and warned to say, if you testify, if you come out into this court case, um, we will kill you. Essentially, those were the words that were said. So we are hearing, of course, um, you know, the different sides to, you know, the state as well as the defense as to why, you know, they should you know, not be granted bail. And uh, we're waiting for that verdict. I'm not sure if it's going to come out, of course, Mandy, today. Um, as we mm. know that sometimes these cases do take a while, especially given the public interest. You've mentioned, of course, um, that there is quite a lot of public interest, as you said, with the ministers coming out. There's also heavy police presence outside the Hoblesdale Magistrate Court. And all eyes essentially are on this case, whether or not, you know, it is an issue of, you know, if they were able to, give up enough evidence to say it is okay for them to to be granted bail, that they will not be, you know, it is in the interest of justice, or yeah. whether or not there is that sense that we're getting the community, um, that there is some tension there. 
And we can see um, from the visuals on the uh, TV news networks on um, Newsroom Africa, on ENCA, that it is very tense outside uh, the courtroom, police monitoring that situation, the EFF protesting as well. Absolutely, Mandy. You'll remember, as you you mentioned last week, that um, there were a lot of clashes and tensions that happened. Um, Of course, the EFF coming out to support. um, And it's also worth mentioning, Mandy, that the situation was brought to the courts because um, the EFF region in Skakune um, essentially helped the security guard to do a citizen's arrest. They they were the ones who helped make sure that, you know, there was some justice in regards to this case before he was arrested. So um, they do feel responsible if one might say, for the Mm. progress of this case. Um, But at the other end, uh, Mandy, there is a community that feels that this is an unfair um, kind of trial and that um, what played out in the video and what we know as a public in regards to how he was attacked and the dogs unleashed on him is not necessarily the truth. But of course, we will be hearing more details in court. Veronica, thank you very much. Uh, As we mentioned, both the ministers are there. They've both been speaking to the media. Let's first listen to what uh, the Justice Minister Ronald Lamola has had to say. We condemn any form of violence, of blockage, of any forceful entry in our courts. We also condemn any display of apartheid flags that invoke emotions in our country that reminds us of the apartheid past by any grouping. All of us belong to one democratic South Africa and we must abide by its constitution. We want to thank all the members of the South African police, the community here, who restored order when there was such kind of behavior. We will want the Human Rights Commission to look into this kind of behavior that evoked the emotions of the past. That's the Justice Minister, Ronald Lamola. Also there, the Police Minister, Becky Kele. Are usually happening. This is not for the first time that such a case is taking place here. We had another one which is called the KFC kind of case. The other one, another one where a person was fishing, was murdered. So we must be watching this city very closely. And we say South Africa is one and people must behave as such. But all after this, the law must take its course and the law must be respected. And you know that as the Minister of Police, we have things that we're supposed to follow, especially when it comes to constitution. So that's the Police Minister and the Justice Minister. How do you feel about this? Do you think it's, it's good that we've got the ministers on the ground, in the courtroom, at this particular case, where it has been heated before they are doing their jobs? Or do you feel that why this one particular case is it merely electioneering? Um, I'd love to hear your views on this, and you can let me know either way. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Well, let's go to Beacon Valley and Mitchell's Plain now because funeral preparations are underway at the family home of 12-year-old Fredos Kleinschmidt, who was shot and killed at her school. She was struck by a gangster's stray bullet and community leaders have expressed their concerns, saying that this current gang war has been going on since late last year. Uh, and of course, this is just, it's just harrowing the, the situation there. Let's speak to Lauren Isaacs, EWN reporter. Lauren, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. You've been speaking to the family of Fredo's Klein Schmidt. What have they been saying? Good afternoon. Well, in Vio- 
worked um, in Beacon Valley um, in, in Lentegium, Mitchell's Plain, at the family home of Firdaus Kleinsmith, um, where funeral preparations are underway. I managed to speak to her father very briefly before he left home for the uh, Salt River mortuary, his daughter's body. And he was saying that they are still in shock, but also obviously very busy with, with preparations at the moment. Um, let's take a listen to, to what he had to say about how he found out about his daughter's past. She just said my daughter was shot. I came home when I came at school. I saw she passed away. There's nothing I can say that can describe how we feel. Sure, must be so difficult for them. And of course, the community also uh, extremely concerned about the ongoing um, gangsterism and, and the safety that it, uh, it means and, and threatens in the community. Yes, of course, Mandy. Um, last night, we um, saw uh, people filling up the street and also right next the park, uh, a massive open uh, piece of land, and um, this park was also filled with cards, um, people who came out to show their support um, for their family and also expressing um, anger at what's going on in this um, Mitchell's Plain uh, community where gang violence has spiraled um, out of control. We've seen uh, videos and photos also being widely shared over the past few hours um, with Paga G-Force members as well. Um, they had started out in um, Lentegia and made their way to Beacon Valley where this current gang war is, is underway. And um, on the videos and pictures, we saw that um, they rocked up at, it's believed to be a house of, of one of the merchants in Beacon Valley. And we saw that the, the, the premises were closed and a car had reversed, left the premises, and that person, we don't know who was inside, but people claimed, we could hear on the video, that it was the shooter. And they started attacking, uh, breaking the windows with bricks. And later the car um, was flipped over, flipped on its roof. And I believe set a light after that. So this community is extremely um, angry at, at what's been going on here. 12-year-old, innocent little girl who was at school. Um, we also spoke to the Cape Flats community, uh, the, the Cape Flats uh, Safe Forum, who have um, organized a protest in Beacon Valley at um, the Ikhlasi uh, Nia School later this afternoon. I spoke to Lynn Phillips, one of its members, and she's saying that because this um, gang war has been going on since late last year, police should have had an operational plan in place to stop this. Let's take a listen to what Alchi had to say. And I'm urging SAPs, why are you not doing anything about the guns that is roaming our streets? Why must blood flow our streets? Why must we always stand over open grave and send messages of condolences to family? That's not what we want. We want all guns off the streets. Thank you very much, uh, Lauren Isaacs, bringing us those voices and that report uh, from uh, Beacons Valley in Mitchell's Plain. Uh, just before the show started, I also did an interview with Regan Allen, who is the Western Cape MEC for Police Oversight and Community Safety. He was in that area yesterday. Have a listen to what he's had to say. MEC, you met with the community yesterday. You visited the family. What is the sentiment there? Mandy, one could sense the trauma. One could sense the anger and the frustration 
of community members. And as soon as I left that particular precinct, I could even sense within my own being, because I'm from that particular area, the pain and anger that I feel for, um, for this uh, particular group of unscrupulous and heartless gang members that decided to shoot in broad daylight, uh, which led to the murder of a 12-year-old. But it is and, and the anger in the community is very visible. What is being done to ensure that that situation remains calm in that community? We do know uh, that, as you say, it is a very, very volatile situation. What's being done to, to maintain law and order? That was also part of the reason why I visited. I then engaged our Cape Town uh, Provincial uh, District Commissioner, uh, but also the station commander, to ensure we actually have the relevant units within that particular area that includes the TRT together with the AGU, the anti-gang unit, to be in that particular area. And we have also activated our LEAP officers uh, and they have been um, um, fully briefed in terms of the deployment um, to the Beacon Valley area. We can also confirm, Mandy, that two persons are currently being tracked and I sincerely trust that in the next 24 hours we would receive positive information that the two suspects have been tracked, have been traced, and that they will be brought before a court of law uh, in order um, to answer um, for this particular deed. MEC, the community leaders say this current gang war in Beacon Valley has been going on since late last year. Uh, we know from from past experience that Ferdos Kleinsmith, of course, is not the first child that will be killed in, in, in gang crossfire, nor will she be the, the, the last, sadly. Um, how do we fix this problem at a fundamental level? Mandy, your question is highly appreciated. It allows me to qualify the data between April and September. During that particular period, we saw 404 gang-related murders. Of that 404 gang-related murders, 74, Mandy, or 18%, 74 were innocent persons. It was where the investigation concluded that it's a bystander and there was no affiliation to a gang. So it's innocent person, 74. And it's very traumatizing to see that in that particular period, 74, and most recently now, a 12-year-old innocent person that has been murdered. We have consistently requested in order to, to capacitate the Mitchell Spring Police Precinct, which Mandy sadly has a police-to-population ratio that is above the provincial average. It's currently sitting at one particular officer um, to over 700 residents. And our average in our province is 550. So it's above. That is skewed allocations that we definitely would want to see addressed, but also the role that the anti-gang unit needs to play. We need to ensure that the Prevention of Organized Crime Act is fully utilized so that Section 4 of the Act can actually mm. result in gangs uh, being brought down. Right. Uh, 
MEC, is, is this a question again about collaboration between the LEAP officers, the anti-gang unit, the SAPS? We know that there is a conversation around devolution. We know that in the Western Cape uh, there is a, a push for more powers at a provincial level. Is there sufficient collaboration between the Western Cape government and the police service here? Mandy, I have been very consistent to engage um, all the role players. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, I am satisfied with the collaboration. The collaboration that we are seeing now, the integration, in my view, Mandy, has never been at the level where it is now because we have been very deliberate in that approach. But definitely the call for devolution uh, is gaining momentum because it's not only a call that is that is resonating here in the Western Cape. We are in Gauteng, we, um, we are in KZN of talks about a new policing model. And the word devolution has become a swear word, but ultimately it is a new policing model because we have done policing the same since 1994. We are saying bring policing powers closer to the residents bring it to a level at, at, at provincial government so that our policing needs and priorities can ultimately be taken into account. We will be consistent in that regard because it reverberates, but also it is also uh, possible in terms of the constitution. MEC, thank you so much for your time. So that is the MEC for Police Oversight and Community Safety in the Western Cape, Regan Allen, speaking to us there in response to the shooting of 12-year-old Fidos Kleinschmidt, who's going to be buried later today. Do you think that this idea of devolution is gathering momentum? Is it a swear word, as the MEC says, or is it a possibility in KZN, in Gauteng, in other provinces too? 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. You may have heard on EWN bulletins about how three suspected members of a notorious gang that's been terrorizing the KwaZulu-Natal community of Inanda have been shot and killed by the cops. Uh, EWN reporting that uh, the police followed up on information regarding the whereabouts of the suspected members of the so-called West Gang. Oren Singh has been reporting about the West Gang. He joins us now. Uh, Oren, just remind us about the, the West Gang. And you did a report previously about this this gang, right? Yes, Mandy. So we, we traveled to Inanda late last year towards October, um, November, uh, after some community members had told us, look, there's this gang that are terrorizing the community. And what piqued our interest, Mandy, was these were really young kids. I mean, we say kids, teenagers, as young as 14 years old. Um, They were going into homes, breaking into homes, robbing people, robbing people, getting out of taxis and just shooting people left, right and center. Um, we were we were provided with the figure by the local CPF in, in Inanda that more than 50 people just last year alone were killed by these these boys in the area. Um, so we, we went down and did a little bit of digging into, you know, the sort of what's fueling them. And um, the, the ultimate conclusion that we came to, Mandy, is that this is all drug related. These mm-hmm. kids are being hired by uh, drug dealers in the area that are trying to push their product. And what happens is that they're supplied with firearms to do uh, certain deeds on instruction of uh, certain drug kingpins. And after they're done with that specific job, inverted commas, they then said or told that, look, you can keep the firearm um, and do with it what you want. And during this time, until they get a next job where they have to do something for this kingpin, they are then left doing nothing. And most of them are on drugs drugs themselves. And so they find themselves getting involved in criminal elements. So we kind of um, lifted the lid a bit on this. And thereafter, we found that 
you know, police are really trying to crack down on these guys. And there's been a series of shootings involving police and the West Gang members in which some police officers were even shot and killed as well as community policing forum members and anti-crime activists. So sure. police really trying to get a handle on the situation. Inanda is the murder capital of South Africa. It has for several years been the murder and rape capital. Mm. Um, and so really a point of concern for the provincial police, but they're trying to step up their game and trying to get ahead of the right. game by intercepting these guys and trying to get so, hold of them. So what do we know now about what happened in this uh, in this instance, in this shooting, did they follow up on intelligence? Um, uh, who exactly was killed? What happened? So the information at our disposal, Mandy, was at about 3.30 this morning, police, uh, together with the Hawks and Etiquini Crime Intelligence, um, went and pounced on a shack in the La Mercy area and this informal settlement. Very narrow sort of walkways in these areas, um, such as most informal settlements are, not a lot. A lot of lighting um, so a very um, cautious approach from police from what we understand and um, they pounced on this on this premises and they claim they were met by with gunfire by three um, people in this home and they retaliated and shot and killed them they say that two at least two other members of this group managed to escape or evade arrest and uh, they recovered firearms on the scene. But police, from what we understand, had been watching um, their movements for, for a couple of days and they pounced in the early hours of this morning. So as things currently stand, police are still for, in, uh, searching for, for two of those other gang members. Uh, just lastly, Oren, so um, how, how big is this gang? So if three people have been killed, does that mean that the majority of the gang um, has been um, been killed or is it a much, much bigger network? So Mandy, from what we understand, it is quite a extensive network and it also involves uh, criminal elements within police as well. Um, allegations of corruption were brought to our attention. Um, we were made aware from sources within SAPS that this gang stemmed from a police officer who was actually shot and killed um, by other police officers for his involvement in, in drug dealings and so on. Um, but we understand that this ga gang stretches quite quite a large extent in the northern parts of of Durban or just north of Durban. They um, were initiated in an area known as Bester and have moved into the surrounding areas, which is into Zuma, Kwamashu, and Inanda itself. So still quite a, a bit of work for police to do going forward. Oren Singh, thank you very much uh, with that update. He's watching the story that's developing in KwaZulu-Natal. Three members of a notorious gang called the West Gang have been killed by police in a shootout. And they are believed to be responsible for more than 50 murders in Inanda just last year alone. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. I wonder... Is isn't it bad for the Minister of Justice and the Minister of Police to attend a case like this and then to have one of them or both of them making speeches outside court? I'm wondering what kind of pressure they might be placing on the judge presiding over this case. It doesn't seem right. Hi, Mandy. It's Abubani from Whitefield, in Benoni. I think what the ministers did today I don't have the full facts whether they were sitting inside the court or outside the court, but if they were sitting inside the court, I think it does maybe influence whatever that magistrate is going to do. We can put aside what those guys did. We all know that it was something bad and wrong that they did. 
But for the ministers to be there, they can protest outside the court. It's fine, but to sit inside the court, I think it influences the outcome of that bail hearing or whatever it was. Thank you. Mandy, I'm so shocked that in 2024 we're still here. You know, it reminds me of the coffin, coffin assault. You know, it's it's crazy that you know, 20 over 20 years of democracy, we're still having cases like this. And you are right, Mandy. Um, two ministers in court. It is definitely an election year. Prince in Bedford View. Thank you so much for those WhatsApp voice notes. Um, so the ministers were inside court. They there are photographs. The, the cameras have have images of both Ronald Lamola and Becky Kelly sitting uh, on the benches in the public gallery amongst um, other people who were attending. Um, and look, there's nothing unlawful about that at all. They're perfectly entitled to. But I do wonder if this could be grounds for some kind of argument by the defence to say that there was political pressure. Um, and I think it's a good point that many of you raise. And is this a correct message? to send. There's two arguments here, right? The one is they are on the ground. They are making sure that there is peace and stability because there were clashes there in the past during previous court appearances and by them being there, they're able to to maintain uh, the law and order. The other argument is, well, do you really need two political heads to be at a case in Hroblesdal when there could be at any other court case as well across the country. Um, so very interesting to hear your responses on this. Continue to send us those WhatsApp voice notes 072 702 1702 Mandy Wiener. Weekdays 12 to 1 p.m. So quite a few other court cases we are watching for you today as well. The one is the trial of the pediatric surgeon, Peter Beale. The Senzo Miyewa trial is continuing today and the Shal Kinnear murder case is continuing today as well. So we're going to take you to our reporters covering all three of those. We'll start with the case of the pediatric surgeon, Peter Beale, a witness on the stand there. Bernadette Wicks looking at that one. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. Tell us who's on the witness stand today. Well, Mandy, it's still the state's first witness, who is a pediatric surgeon himself. The court has ordered that we can't um, publicize his identity, though. And tell us about what evidence has been led today by Mm -hmm. this witness. Well, he's currently under cross-examination, and the focus of today's evidence really has been around one of the children whose death um, Professor Beale has now been charged in connection with, a three-year-old child who, as the state alleges it, Uh, Professor Beale is accused of misrepresenting to this child's parents that he had a condition called Hirschsprung's disease and thus required surgery, which ended up being fatal. Now, what Professor Beale, in his P explanation, what his defense to this is, is that he did not actually operate on the child for Hirschsprung's disease, but for a variant of the disease, which we understand is called hypoganglionosis. It's it's quite a mouthful. Um, But what we've heard today is that pathologist who conducted the initial biopsy, in terms of her initial findings, they were consistent with Hirschsprung's disease, but subsequently she amended these findings. And her subsequent findings were actually more consistent with a variant of of Hirschsprung's disease. So this, this morning, his counsel has been arguing that at the HPCSA hearing around this matter, the pathologist gave evidence and she indicated that just because the biopsy hadn't suggested her Hirschsprung's disease, that didn't exclude other conditions and essentially that the treatment would have been the same. Um, and he's also led evidence around literature from the time from experts in this field that said that the, the procedure that was carried out on this child was 
the general treatment for this kind of variant. So that's really where we're sitting at the moment. Bernadette, thank you for that. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter at that case of the pediatric surgeon, Professor Peter Bill. That's the one case we're looking at. The next one is the Senzo Miyua murder case and what's happening there with the trial within a trial. Nokukanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, following that for us. Nokukanya, good afternoon to you. Tell us what the latest is in that court matter today. Good afternoon, Mandy. Slow start to proceedings this morning and not much out of the ordinary or anything new really in terms of what we've seen over the past couple of days with the cross-examination of Brigadier Bongani Kenenda who is the lead investigator in the murder trial of Sandra Mayi. When we started off with a bit of drama, uh, you know, uh, between Gininda uh, as well as advocate Zandila uh, Musholol, just a bit of a tense exchange between the two about what processes need to be followed by police when they are obtaining, uh, um, when they're obtaining confessions from any of the accused. Mandy, just a, uh, just a recall of where we are. We are still dealing with uh, the trial within the trial where we are dealing with the admissibility of the confessions of two of the accused, uh, number one and number two, uh, Moses Bia, as well as uh, Mongani Danzi. And Geninda's really just stuck to his word about having followed the, the, the processes within police, um, you know, to the letter in terms of how those confessions were obtained, he says, at no point was, uh, and we've dealt particularly here with uh, Moses Bia, at no point was Moses Bia not in any condition to make uh, the confessions. He wasn't assaulted, wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't forced to make the confession either, as has been proposed by the defense lawyers. He says he was, in fact, willing, a willing participant in the making of that confession. And that's where we are, uh, Mandy, this afternoon. We continue with that, and I expect that we'll continue to take the, take up the rest of the afternoon. Nokukanya, thank you for that update. Uh, Nokukanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, giving us an update on the Senzo Miyua trial. And then in the Western Cape, uh, the uh, trial of uh, the Shalkanir murder case. It's another day of pleading to over 100 charges in that matter. Nafiz Modak and other accused pleading guilty to some of those charges. Carlo Peterson, EWN reporter, is there for us. Carlo, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Give us an update on that court matter. Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, and so what's currently happening is the state is reading through that long indictment of 124 charges and giving the 14 accused, um, um, including Modak, a chance to plead uh, to each of those charges. It's uh, quite a lengthy process and uh, they are currently... Um, So the proceedings today is uh, centered around Modak and six of the other accused who are allegedly part of the terrible Westsiders gang. Uh, which operates in various areas on the Cape Flats. Uh, the allegations against the accused include, include two murders and various other charges, including illegal possession of firearms and attempted murder. Um, other than that, Modak today also requested a bigger prison cell. Um, this after uh, his initial request to be, to be moved from Alderstrom Prison in Caledon to Goodwood was granted earlier this week. Um, Modak told the court his cell in Goodwood um, is 1.2 by 1.5 meters, which he claims is inhumane. And um, the judge has, however, told him that this request must be made with correctional services. So that is kind of like where we're at today. Um, the, the state is currently still going through that indictment, giving the, the accused uh, charge, a chance to plead. 
um, none of them have yet pleaded guilty. Um, and so um, we, we'll see how the, the rest of the process unfolds. Carlo, thank you very much. Carlo Peterson, EWN reporter, giving us an update there. So uh, an update on various court cases that we're watching for you from Hrublesdal uh, to the Western Cape. We'll continue to monitor all of those. 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, in another court-related matter, the EFF, the Economic Freedom Fighters, went to the High Court to try and get the suspension lifted of uh, Julius Malema, Floyd Chivambu, four other senior leaders of the party as well, um, who are going to be barred from the State of the Nation address. The High Court saying that the EFF had filed their papers late, so the matter was struck off the roll in the Western Cape High Court. And, uh, of course, State of the Nation is next week, Thursday. So let's find out about this with Sinao Tambo, EFF National Spokesperson and MP. Sinao, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for, for your time. Um, what is your reaction to this decision of the court? Look, we've noted the decision by the court that due to some certain procedural issues, uh, they struck our matter off the roll, and it's a bit unfortunate because it's got the consequences that mean that Democratically elected members of parliament are not going to participate in the State of the Nation address. They're not going to participate in the budget because we dared to hold Soramaposa accountable at the son of 2023. So it's even more curious that the month of February was chosen in particular by the Powers and Privileges Committee, which shows that this is a malicious decision to ensure that we're not part and parcel of what is most likely going to be Soramaposa's final State of the Nation address. So we note the judgment and why it was struck off the roll, but the underlying consequences are that many of those who have voted for us to be in Parliament to do exactly what we did last year have been deprived of their democratic right. Do you have any other legal recourse now? Can you bring a fresh application, or um, is that option no longer open to you? The option is available to us, but uh, the relief that we seek primarily, which will allow us to be able to attend the State of the Nation address, and of course, our parliamentary responsibilities, which were suspended from doing for the whole month of February, we might not get that relief in time. So we are, of course, considering and internally discussing avenues to approach the matters differently as well and further legal measures we can take. But as things stand, members of the EFF, from the President and Commander-in-Chief to the Deputy President and the Secretary-General and some of us as well are not going to be part and parcel of the State of the Nation address. But of course, there are other members of Parliament of the EFF who will continue to execute their duties in Parliament and hold the executive accountable. So um, just clarity on that then. will um, We know that the six members cannot attend the State of the Nation address. Will the, the, the rest of the EFF MPs be attending the State of the Nation address? Are you considering a, a protest of non-attendance or are you considering a disruption? How does the EFF plan to proceed? Look, I think it's going to be an internal discussion and decision that will happen. The judgment was yesterday. So the EFF will resolve on its approach moving forward. It applies its mind and also, of course, considers the various options available to us. But as things stand, it's only six of us who have been uh, essentially banned from Parliament for the month of February.
Sinawa, thank you very much for your time. Sinawa Tambo, EFF National Spokesperson and MP, uh, responding to that decision. The High Court saying the EFF had filed their papers late, so the matter was struck off the roll. And uh, Sona is next week, Thursday. So what could happen between now and then? And I suppose the questions are now open to the EFF. How do they proceed? Do they all decide to boycott as a sign of protest? Do they decide to, to protest? And do we see a similar scene to what we saw last year, even though Julius Malema and Floyd Chavambu and other four uh, uh, officials won't be there, but the rest of the EFF uh, MPs could protest in much the same way. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. Good afternoon. Thanks for the lovely show. I think this whole devolution uh, story is just a ruse, you know? Um, it will probably turn South Africa into a federal state, which will then mean uh, more provinces get better off than others. And we need a collective development as a country. So for me, personally, it's a big no. But yeah, let's have the discussion. It can be suppressed, but it can be only discussed in the open, my view. It's not going to work. It mustn't be entertained in terms of implementation. But that's my view. Thank you, Kiki. Hi, Mandy. Tabo here from uh, Pretoria. I also just want to opine on this. Uh, ministers being there. For me personally, it's neither here nor there, whether they're in the court or outside the court. If we have trust in a judicial system, as we always do, as we always profess, especially on your guys' platform, that we have an independent judiciary, it shouldn't matter whether there's a minister in there or even a president sitting in the court proceedings. What matters is the facts and the evidence that's going to be presented. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, Tolagele. You must be eating your humble pie as we speak ne? you remember what you said about bafana bafana yesterday you said they won't make it it's gonna be too new favored favoring uh morocco so too new bafana bafana too bafana bafana new morocco thank you sharp you see, Tolakele is being a politician now because yesterday she said that we would lose to Morocco 2-0. But two weeks ago, she said that we'd make it to the quarterfinals. So now she is has selective amnesia about which version she has put forward. So she's now claiming, no, 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 no. She said that we were going to make it to the quarterfinals. So she was right. So we'll give her the benefit of the doubt because that's what we do is give give politicians the benefit of the doubt, right? Lots of reaction uh, to the fact that Becky Kelle and uh, Ronald Lamola are in court. Mandy, the ministers of justice and police are today's court case as populists and to influence the judge. They are both shameless. Look, I certainly don't think they're there intentionally to influence the, the magistrate in this matter. And I agree with that voice note that says we do have a strong um, judiciary and we have to have confidence in the judiciary as well. Um, and then uh, there were a couple of others as well um, saying that actually the ministers should be in the Western Cape today to deal with the issue of um, the the shooting there of the 12-year-old child. So lots of WhatsApp voice notes coming in. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. President Cyril Ramaphosa has been very busy today, is still very busy. Earlier today, he was at the port of Durban, where he was received by the KZN Premier, Nomusa Dubet Ngube, and that was to launch South Africa's commercial preferential trade under the African Continental Free Trade Area. So there's lots of pictures of him at uh, the port, meeting people in hard hats and wearing reflective vests. And now he's off to launch the Welesi Rural Bridges Initiative in 
Mgungundlovu district in KwaZulu-Natal province. And this is a collaborative effort with the Department of Public Works and the Defence Force to build 96 bridges during this financial year. That's what he promised us in Sona last year. So now they seem to be doing it. Klakla Mabaso, EWN reporter, is waiting for the president to arrive. Tell us about this launch today. Well, Mandy is expected to hand over a few bridges here in Mkambatini, Ward 7, under the Umkungunlovu District Municipality, Mendy. As you rightly put it there, this is the President's promise that he made during his State of the Nations address last year, saying that they want to build around 96 bridges. In KwaZulu-Natal, totally expected bridges this year are 22, but only 11 have been completely built, and they are currently working on 11 other bridges in parts of the province. But mainly this comes as much of the, I could say, needed service delivery infrastructure in parts of rural areas, most especially where you've seen in many instances uh, school pupils uh, struggling to access their schools due to, you know, when rivers are flooded, it's very hard for them to cross. And this uh, building of bridges may come as I mean, it may come in handy uh, for a lot of communities and maybe a, a very ho- helpful project. We are expecting the president, Mendy, to arrive any minute from now to, of course, meet with community members where he's going to, of course, uh, be addressing them. But surely he will be, you know, maybe um, telling them about a promise kept, Mendy, especially as you would know, it is an election year after all. So we're going to be seeing a lot of those government programs where they deliver what people have been asking for for years, Mendy. Mm. Exactly. So I just want to get clarity. So according to the the promise that was made at Sona last year, um, they said that they were going to build a certain number of of bridges, Mm -hmm. 96 bridges during this financial year. Um, Have they started building those bridges? Are they near completion? Do we know? Do we have clarity on that? Indeed, I spoke to uh, Lennox Mabaso earlier on his spokesperson for the Public Works uh, Ministry and Minister Sihlezigala. He was basically saying that currently in the country, bridges that are under construction are 56, and he was saying that they are expecting completion at least around April, May this year. So in KwaZulu-Natal, the 11 other bridges that are still underway besides the 11 that have been completed, they are also expecting to launch them in April, May. Like I mentioned, Mandy, with it's been an election year, they'll probably want, of course, to use this as, uh, you know, for their election to say this is what the government has promised, this is what the government has delivered. But currently, according to Lennox Mabaso, there are over 56 bridges underway, Mandy. And we do know that the South African National Defense Force, its engineers, are the ones that are part and parcel of building those bridges across the country, Mandy. Nkantla, thank you very much. Nkantla Mabaso, EWN reporter, who's there waiting for the president to arrive, uh, where he's going to launch the Wellesis Where Rural Bridges Initiative in the Umgungundlovu district in KZN. Um, and look, if, they, if they're building the bridges, that's excellent. Well done. It'll be great for the president to be able to stand up at Sona and say, look, these are the bridges that have been built. Uh, we have delivered on this promise. But then keep in mind also the fact that so many areas in KwaZulu-Natal and infrastructure has been impacted by flooding and a lot of it has not been repaired so a lot of it is is relative